Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any information about our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. Anyways, uh, we've been in a series, Knowing God series, and we're on part five today. So we've kind of been covering uh, a few different things. And, and the, the first thing that we're, we've been covering is exactly this. This is our theme verse. So let's read it together. And if you can read it or if you can say it without reading it or try to as much as you can, uh, then do that. So let's do that together right now. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Amen, right? This, this is eternal life. When someone asks you, what is eternal life? It is to know God, to know him, to relate to him. That's what he wants is his heart to know us and for us to know him. And I think that's pretty incredible. And uh, th that's really what salvation is going to be about. We're going to have an eternity to be able to walk with him. And I'm excited about that. So we've been looking at um, less about the attributes. And we've been focusing on the last bunch of weeks how we can actually, the practical steps on how we can grow in knowing God. And so we're going to continue on that. Uh, if you'll recall from a couple of weeks ago, we talked about, you know, time in the word and prayer. Communication, two-way communication in also the word and prayer. And then experiencing God. We need to have fresh experiences with him. And when I say experience, we always think emotional. That's usually what we think. And what we talked about a couple of weeks ago is actually a huge part of the way that we experience who God is and what he's like is by walking with him in faith. It is those faith steps where you actually get to see God move, right? He calls you to do something or to reach out to someone, and you do, and then you see him move through that, and then you're built up in faith, and you're spurred on, and you get to understand more of who he's like, and your faith grows that way. So that's a wonderful thing. Um, so the last couple of weeks then we focused on, does God still speak? We need two-way communication to grow a deep relationship. Does he speak? And we said, yes. He has always spoken. He spoke from before he created human beings. It wasn't like speaking started with humans. He was speaking already in the beginning, right? That's how he spoke the world and spoke the universe into creation. It was his word. He's always, it's a part of who he is, and that's very, very important. And then we also looked at the still small voice and the different reliances that we have on that in the last few weeks. So, the end of uh, last week, I, one of the last points, we looked at some different things where, you know, like salvation and spiritual gifts and, and wisdom and that sort of thing where we need to hear thoughts, right? Where we get thoughts when we're praying and God gives us his thoughts, the still small voice. Uh, and I ended on the, the, to stand against temptation. So I want to start right from there and, and start building on that because uh, in that, in that uh, section, what we looked at was two passages, Right? That God would always provide a way of escape. But also we looked at James where James talks about how we shouldn't charge God with tempting us in our thoughts when temptation comes from our own desires. And so to build on that, I want to uh, uh, just look at briefly discerning our thoughts. Because that raises the question right away. So I've, I was talking about the still small voice, and that's God's thoughts. And then James seems to say that we can also have our own desires and our own thoughts, and that's important. And then we're also told in Scripture that the enemy can tempt us. So we'll just look at that briefly here together. And the first one is our own desires. And that's that James passage we looked at last week. No one can say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by, by God. God is never tempted with evil, and he'll never tempt someone else. But temptation comes when we're lured and enticed by our own desires. 
So James is saying, don't say it's God. We are tempted to sin. We have a broken sin nature in us, and our own desires lure and entice us. So when we're discerning our thoughts, because the still small voice we talked about last week will sound like maybe a thought, right? A picture or a word that God gives you or a verse or something he'll bring to your remembrance. Remember the John 14. So with that, it's important that we understand we can have multiple voices kind of going on within our heads, uh, planting a thought. So our own desires will give us thoughts. Yes, absolutely yes. Two, the enemy can also plant thoughts within our mind. And there's lots of scriptures I can look at, but we'll look at two together. Do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, talking about sexual relations in marriage, that you may devote yourself to prayer. But then come together again so that... Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So here, remember James was saying we're lured and enticed by our own desires, but here we're told that we can be tempted inside by Satan himself. And, and we know that because Acts 5 uh, verse 3, Peter said to Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds? And there's multiple others, 1 Thessalonians 3, 5, John 13, verse 2, that, that gives us this idea that the enemy can plant something in your heart, right? And Judas Iscariot, that's the John one. Uh, uh, the, it said Satan had deceived his heart. Well, how does he do that? Right? He doesn't show up in person, but it's a thought, right? So we're discerning our thoughts. Yes, our own desires can, uh, our own desires can have thoughts in there, and that's important for us to understand especially when it comes to practicing hearing God. Because when our own desires can deceive us, I always say, you know, the more skin I have in the game, the more personal gain that I, 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 you know, the more I stand to gain from the thing that I'm praying about, the less I trust my own desires and what I'm hearing by myself and the more I seek confirmation. Um, And that's a good practice to have. So our desires, the enemy can tempt us, absolutely yes. but, uh, but then look at this, 1 Peter 5, 6, 9. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And the reason I wanted to put this verse in there, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So that's maybe a bit of a concerning passage. But there's this idea out there, and sometimes people look at it with hearing God. So once we go to hearing God and him planting a thought in your mind or, or revealing himself to you that way or leading you in that way, uh, we rightfully so put our flags up and say, whoa, 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 let's make sure we don't abuse that gift. That's a good thing, right? Or we put restrictions on what kind of things that, that God can say, and that, there might even be benefit within that. I'm not saying there isn't. But, you know, or we say, and I've heard, I've heard some people say, well, you know, maybe God can speak, but it would be very rare that he can The problem with that is our own desires. Remember, there's three sources of thoughts that we could be having, our own desires and the enemy. And according to this, it doesn't look like there's any limitations on what the enemy can do to to plant thoughts within our own minds. Right? Scripture teaches that he is prowling around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, and he is playing on our desires, our own sinful desires. He's playing on that to tempt us into sin, And if the enemy, if there's not restrictions on the things that he can do in the sense of tempting us, then aren't you glad that there isn't restrictions on what God can also speak to us? We have a need. If we can hear him, if the enemy can prowl around seeking to devour, I am glad that he that is in us is greater than he that is in the world. I am glad that the Holy Spirit can speak to us in our thoughts. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. 
and there's no limitations we can put on God. Now, I am going to make a case for over this week and then the next week, there are limitations and boundaries we should put on ourselves because we are sinful people and broken and we do make mistakes. But we can't put limitations on God saying he can't speak like this or he doesn't do this. Uh, He is God and he will do what he wants. The first couple of times that I heard him speak in a thought, I didn't even realize he could do it. And I always say, you know, people have asked me, well, how did you know it was God? I don't know how I knew it was God. I suppose if you're God and you want someone to know, they know. And uh, so let's move forward. So the question is, now there's three different kinds of thoughts that we can have. And we're going to spend time over the next couple of weeks unpacking uh, how do we discern. Sorry, I got an eyelash here driving me nuts. I'm sure a little bit of coffee will help. (laughs) Probably not, but it was good. All right, so how do we discern what, uh, which is which? And we're going to spend time on that as we go forward in the series, but I'm not going to spend more time on that part today uh, because I think there's some other questions we need to answer first. And the first one is, so out of these discerning our thoughts, can we trust hearing God? Can we trust it? You get these different thoughts going on in my mind, and can you trust hearing God? That's a really good question. Like I said, people have said to me, okay, fine, maybe I can concede that God could speak, <laughs> right? That he could, but people make mistakes and get things wrong, so I don't know that we should practice it, right? So he could, but I don't know if we should because people might make a mistake of it. And it's true, people do make mistakes of it. I wish we would question the other two voices we hear the same as we question hearing God. When the enemy's tempting us, I wish we would question that more often as the people of God and say, I don't think that's a good idea to sin. I don't know that I should follow that. I should get some confirmation before I act. (laughs) Right? Amen? Yeah. Anyways, but there, there is a point to be made here because can we trust what we're hearing? Lots of voices in the world, can we trust it? And it is true, we see but dimly. So... Before, you know, to answer that question, I want to take a step back and I want to look at the different ways that we can learn things. Because when we're talking about hearing God, we are talking about receiving revelation, receiving knowledge, receiving guidance, uh, receiving wisdom, receiving uh, advice, right? Those kinds of things. So what are other forms of learning that we can have in this world and how do they stack up to hearing God? Uh, So the first one is comparing the still small voice, yeah, to uh, other forms. Uh, First one is wise counsel or advice. And my question with that is this, because sometimes we look at, well, people can make mistakes with hearing God. And it's true. I've made mistakes with hearing God. It's true. If you have practiced hearing God, you've made mistakes with hearing God. That's true, even if you don't think it is. Because we see but dimly. But... The point is, then some say, well, if, we can, if people make mistakes, then we should just throw it out and we should rely on other forms. Okay, wise counsel and advice. Do people make mistakes? Is it possible to go to two different wise people, even people that are wise in the area? Because I know if you just go general advice from anybody, <laughs> then, then we'd be wrought with all sorts of bad advice. Uh, right? It's when we're picking wise counsel and advice, we don't just get advice from anybody, but let's say you're even going to two financial experts. Is it possible they could give you two different types of advice? Could one be right and one be wrong? 
right? I mean, people have encouraged some into investing. They might do really, really well, and suddenly they encourage you to invest in something that tanks, and it's bad advice. People make mistakes, and yet, and yet, look what Proverbs says, and for by wise guidance you can wage war in an abundance of counselors there is victory. And yet scripture says we shouldn't throw the baby out with the bathwater just because people make mistakes. We should still seek wise counsel and wise advice. That is a good idea. Uh, young people take note and people my age too and everyone. We should seek wise counsel when we're making big decisions. Absolutely yes. But what about other forms? How about let's take a look at uh, science and psychology, right? So the discovery of how things work and how the, how the mind works and how the world works and how it was built and all those kinds of things. Loads of information to be learned here. And I have thoroughly enjoyed studying this kind of stuff. I'm a bit of a nerd that way. I love it, especially psychology, especially the way our minds are made to function. I think that's fascinating stuff. But has science ever made a mistake? Has psychology ever been, has there ever been conflicting advice, conflicting theories? You know, you look at the personality models, just for one, one example, and I love personality stuff. I like learning about it, and I always find it's fascinating to kind of learn how different people are wired to think differently and to feel differently and to, and to work differently. I love that stuff. And yet you'll find it's a bit of a soft science. It's a bit of a soft science. And when you look at different personality models, they're all helpful within their own right, but often there's conflicting ideas. They don't fit. I've tried. I've taken a few of the different models and tried to fit them perfectly to see, you know, if it's the same idea, just presented a little differently. They never fit perfectly. Why is that? Is someone making a mistake? Should we just throw the whole thing out? I think it's been beneficial for me to learn that. It's actually helped my relational skills. Uh, it's been great for me, right? But it's a good thing, and science is the same way. I mean, look at the constant changing science behind how we were made and how it all began. There's lots of theories. And is it bad to explore those theories? No, it's not bad to explore those theories, but they're constantly coming out with a new theory or a new way. And my point isn't that we throw everything out. Again, the point is it's not infallible. It's not. What about books? You like books? Books are good, right? Books and literature? There's lots of conflicting ideas. I think you're getting my point here, right? You can read lots of books, lots of self-help books, lots of books about lots of different things, and you'll find different people have found different ways to improve their life or to help you learn this or to help you learn that, and their approach might be different even though it might be in the same field. And yet it doesn't make it bad, and it doesn't mean we should stop learning. In fact, you look at Daniel, and it says there, and these four, uh, four youths, God gave them learning and skill and literature and wisdom. God bless them with that. Right? We talked about last week the idea that maybe there's a piece of hearing God that, that you know, anyone who has invented something or brought something good into the world, there was a piece of that that was connected to the voice of God that was being spoken into their life. That's, that's a thought to ponder from James. But certainly that's true with books and literature. There's truth that is truth because it's God's truth. Absolutely, yes, but we may interpret it a little bit differently and Lastly, and this is the very, very important one here, and I want to be careful how I approach this one. I'm not trying to shake anyone. But what about, oh, sorry, that was a second one. There, the Bible. Now you say, whoa, 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 the Bible is not fallible. It's infallible. The Bible is perfect, right? It's the Word of God. And my answer to that is, yes, it is. I'm talking about our interpretation. 
I'm not talking about this thing. There's no, I don't believe in a mistake in here. I don't. But is it true that different people have read through here some of the same passages and come out with different doctrines? True? And I'm certainly not advocating we throw this out. This morning, I was reading in Acts, and I'm slowly going through Acts. Um, and I, was, I went through my prayer time first, and I was praying for you guys in the service, and then I was getting my heart ready before the Lord, and I was just talking to him about how much I just want to, I just want to make him proud. Like, I just, that welcome into your inheritance, good and faithful servant. To hear good and faithful from him, ah, that just, it makes my heart beat fast to think about it. And I was praying, and then I was getting into the Word in Acts 20, and I'm reading, and I had to stop halfway through and just, and sit there and journaling, and I just said, Lord, I love your Word. It is life. It's life. I love it. I love to study. Friday I was preparing this message and I'm studying and I'm, I actually sat there with giddy excitement. And I thought, how, am I, how in the world am I getting paid to sit here and flip through Scripture and pray and cross-reference and pull this up and get this idea, then dive into Scripture again and then go into the concordance and then check the Greek and then check the Hebrew and then come back into prayer and then sing some worship. And I'm thinking, this is life. And yet, people interpret things inaccurately because people see but dimly. So what's my point? Should we stop all forms of receiving knowledge and learning because people make mistakes? No, absolutely not. That would be, that would be to err, very large error in your life. I would not encourage that. Proverbs 25, 2, I like this verse here. It is the glory of God to conceal things but the glory of kings to search things out. God actually, like, we see but dimly, and part of that's going to be, yes, there is a sin nature. Yeah, absolutely, yes. Totally, that's going to pollute lots. Our own desires, we just talked about that. The sin nature, then the enemy tempting us, sure. But it's actually part of how God created things. He likes, Jesus talked about this in Matthew, right? He said, it, it, was, it was your glorious will, Father, to hide things from the wise and learned and to reveal them to children. The honest seekers, and I love that. Isn't that cool? It's the glory of God to conceal things. He actually wants us to search things out, and it's part of discovery. And sometimes, you know, it's like you're digging down into the ground, and you're finding something, and you think you found, you know, this, but you actually are finding something. You know, the more you uncover, the more you see. And it's this discovery. Absolutely, yes. But remember, this is my point. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. For now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. We only know in part. We only see in part. And until we stand before Jesus, that's not going to be corrected. So, we're all still going to need to learn. We're all still going to need to make decisions. We all still have a need for knowledge and wisdom. Like Scripture said, until we see him face to face. And we should learn. So we should, and like all of those other things, the wise counsel and books and sciences and ecology, we can learn from that. And certainly, most certainly, we should be basing our life on the foundation of the Word of God. Absolutely, yes. Be a studier of that Word. Get it in your heart. Get it in your mind. Get it in your soul. And with that, we should also pray to God and learn to hear God. Because that also is life to your soul. It is life. So, can we trust hearing God? And the answer is yes. We can trust hearing God. Now, does that mean we should just trust every thought that comes into our mind? No, I'm not saying that. We just said three different sources. We need to learn how to discern. 
We need to learn how to grow in discerning and getting confirmation. Absolutely, yes. But we shouldn't put, you know, we shouldn't throw out hearing God simply because people make mistakes. Years ago, Pastor Ray said, you know, hearing God without regular time in the Word is a dangerous cocktail. Isn't that wise? Isn't that wise? I love that quote. I don't know if he remembers it or maybe he took it from somewhere else, but that stuck with me. He said it over a decade ago and it has stuck with me. Hearing God, listening prayer, asking him to speak in a thought without spending regular time in here is dangerous. Lots of reasons for that and I'm going to build on that part because why this is important and what you're going to learn, most likely next week. For this week though, I want to do actually something different because I want to add there's a couple of more components to that that actually makes hearing God, it could make it more dangerous within your life. And the first one I want to do this week, and that is the heart check. One of the biggest areas where I see people make mistakes in hearing God is not checking their own motives and who they're serving first. That is huge. And that's where you get what I like to call eight-ball Christians, right? That are looking, that are looking to turn prayer into this magic eight-ball where, you know, I believe in Jesus and, I, you know, I kind of know him, but... Uh, Really, oh, here, I should put that forward there. Who am I serving? I believe in Jesus, absolutely, yes, but I'm kind of living my own life and I want my own things and I, I have my dreams and my goals that I'm pursuing. But along the way, who wouldn't want to know the right decision to make every time we have to make one? Who wouldn't want to know? Who wouldn't want to know who to date, what job to take, how to handle this conversation? Right? Wouldn't that be great? If you never had to actually work something through for yourself, you can just ask the Lord and he'll tell you, do this and then do that and then do this. And it kind of turns into we're just rubbing the lamp and looking for an answer and that's dangerous. And that's why I think the most important thing to do before we get into the practices is asking our own selves, who is sitting on the throne of my heart? And it's important when we ask that question that we realize there is only occupancy for one on that throne. Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. No one. Do you think Jesus was wrong on that? Sometimes it's fun. I know we all know the answer, right? So it's just a fun question. But I think sometimes we forget, right? Because I don't know about you. Maybe I'm the only one here, and I know I'm not. I'm just playing. Many times in my life, I can point to times where I thought I could serve two masters. I'll serve Jesus for this chunk, uh, but then I got this other part here where I'm pretty sure I don't need him to be Lord of this area because I've got this. Ever felt like that? I can do this without him. This part here, maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a bondage. Maybe it's free time. Maybe it's my rest. Maybe it's my marriage. Maybe it's my kids. Maybe it's my job. Maybe it's finances. Lord, I'll give you lots. I'll even give you time. But money, well, hands off. I got things that I want to do with that. Right? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And you know, sometimes we look at these passages, and you know what our human nature wants to do? Explain it away. Give you all the reasons why it's not exactly like that. And he's not saying you can't, you know, enjoy things in life, and you can't, and it, which is, there's a lot of truth to that, by the way. You look at the people God has blessed throughout history. He's blessed lots of people to be able to give financially, to be able to go and do things and to enjoy holidays. There's nothing necessarily wrong with any of those things. But I think sometimes we brush over a statement like this too quickly. 
And we need to park on it and realize, I can't serve two masters. I can only serve one. So it is important as I go into hearing God, as I go into knowing God, that I learn to come to him on his terms and not mine. We don't set, you know, sometimes we get confused because we all have relationships and the Bible uses relational terms for how we relate to God. Isn't that amazing? Christianity, our faith, our God, the creator of all things, wants to have an intimate relationship with us. Amazing. The difference is, in my relationships with other human beings, they're mutual. They're, you know, where we each have an equal say, right? It's mutual respect, it's mutual submission, and all that kind of stuff. There is a very different nature to the relationship that we have with God. He loves us unconditionally. I'd say it's even better. It's better in so many ways because there's no evil in him. None. There's no evil in him. He's perfect in everything that he does. We were just saying that. He's perfect. Perfectly good. Perfect in love. We can hardly understand it. But he is still God. And because he is God, there is a demand on us, his creation. <laughs> not feel good? Just to think about that, he is God, and that demands something of me, and it demands something of you. But you know what I have found? Because you can look at that and say, oh, it feels like a heavy weight. His, bur- his burden is light. You just need to know him more. You need to know him more, and you'll want to serve him and come to him on his terms. Okay, now moving forward. This is where it kind of breaks down for people. When, uh, and I'll take a step back here so we understand. When we're talking about who am I serving, what does Jesus mean? Savior and deliverer, okay? So many people love the idea of Jesus as their Savior. We love that idea. Who doesn't? I love the idea. Raise your hand if you love the idea of Jesus as Savior. Are you raising it at home? I hope so. I love the idea of Jesus as Savior. And if you're here listening today or whenever this is, and you haven't known him yet as Savior, I would encourage you to take that most important step within your life. Know him as Savior. But he's not only Savior, When we decided to pursue knowing him to receive eternal life, we actually said more than just receiving him as our savior. He must actually become our our savior and our functional Lord. It's Lord and savior. That is absolutely critical that we understand both pieces. And I think there's often a lot of confusion in many people's hearts onto the, on, to the duality of this, that we need, it's both. It's both and, it's not one or the other. Often we look at Jesus as Savior, and then once we talk about Lord, it's a title, we use the title. But you've got to be careful on what the implications are of Lord, because then you don't want to be presenting works salvation. But yet, what does Scripture say? Second Peter 2.20 says, For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of, the knowledge of, instead of knowledge about, knowledge of always refers to knowing God. Knowing our who? Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's Lord and Savior. Scripture teaches not one. Romans 10.9 Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is what? Lord. Lord. And you say, okay, well, all i got to do is confess with my mouth. Right? Jesus is Lord. I just need to confess it. Okay. Well, first we're going to take a look at what does Lord mean. And then, uh, and then we're going to step back a little bit and, uh, and, and look at is it good enough? What are the implications on our life? First, Lord means possessor, owner, one who has control. 
and master. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, possessor, owner, has control of my life, that he is now my master. That's what the passage is saying. And believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, then we will be saved. Now you might say, is it enough to just call him Lord? Because that's confessing with the mouth. Is that enough? We've looked at this passage already. And not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father. If you look at the parable of the virgins, you'll find five foolish, five wise. We're not going there right now. You can look it up later. And what do you find there? When the door is shut, the five foolish were there saying the same thing. Lord, Lord, open to us. But he did not know them. Again, some of these passages can be unsettling. I don't think they have to be unsettling. They're mostly unsettling if we haven't firmly decided and aren't resolute in our hearts that he is to be not just Savior, but also Lord. You see, once you've determined that in your heart and you are resolute, he is my Savior. I love him. I, I cannot believe what he has done for me, and I believe. But he is also my Lord, and I just want to please him with my life. If you're resolute on that, you read these passages, and they're not nearly as scary, but... If you're still wondering, and I get that, we're all in a different spot, and I've been at that spot many times. You say, what are the implications of this? It's very important that we understand. Jesus is only Savior and Lord of our lives. Both are necessary for knowing God and eternal life. We're going to look at another passage, and this one I'm going to get you to read later too, because we're doing, we're doing practices at the end, because what a sh wouldn't it be a shame to talk about knowing God without getting a chance to actually hear him, <laughs> right, and to grow closer? But let's look at this passage together. You know what I liked about this? By the way, First John is just amazing. I love actually anything John writes. I've told you that before, haven't I? Yeah, I have. We had the whole gospel conversation about which one was the best. <laughs> They're all good. John is just the best. Um, so anyhow, 1 John, so 1 John 1, to set the stage for this before I go read it. So 1 John 1 is all about the, you know, it's the message that he's heard and seen from God, that he's touched with his hands and seen with his eyes, and he's now proclaiming it to you. And what is this message? Eternal life. And he says there was this eternal life that was in the heavenlies that was with the Father, and it was made manifest to us, and he is just extremely excited to share what that eternal life is, and it was Jesus, that's who he's talking about. Anyhow, then he goes on to describe what it means to follow him. Isn't that what we're often asking inside? Especially if we're in an area in our life where we're struggling with faith or belief. We're asking, how do I know? How can I know? First John does a really great job of helping us know how we can gauge our own lives and whether or not we are following him or not. So that's where 1 John 1 starts. It lays the foundation for walking in the light as he is in the light and says basically if you think you have not sinned or say you have no sin, that you're deceived. In one case, you could even be making God a liar. And he says to walk in the light is to be a confessing sinner, to recognize that you are a confessing sinner. You're broken. You need grace. Now we pick it up in chapter 2. So chapter 2 is exciting. My little children, by the way, this first verse, I just, oh, Gives me the shivers every time. My little children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Oh, I just love that. Does it give you chills when you read that one? I don't know what it is. That verse, it's done it from the first time I read it. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. It's who he is. Can you believe we have an advocate that Jesus would advocate for us? Right? I'm writing these things to you so that you don't sin. 
right? So we're not to sin, called to perfection, don't sin. But if you do, Jesus, the Son of God, is advocating for you with the Father. (sighs) Then he goes on to define. So the rest of this passage really gets good because he's going to talk about how do you know if you know God? Oh, that's, that's convenient for the series we're in, isn't it? Right? Here we're talking about knowing him and what does it mean to know God and knowing God is eternal life. And First John, written a long time ago, says, I'll, I'll make it really clear for you how you can know. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. That's interesting, isn't it? That's what I look at in my life. Is he my Lord? That's what he's saying here. Is he my Lord? Am I following him in obedience? He might say, ooh, whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. Remember 1 John now 4 talks about, you know, perfect love casts out fear. Right? Those who are being perfected in God's love, that it actually begins to remove fear. That's probably what a lot of us who struggle with this are looking to remove, that fear. And what John is saying, if you look at the entirety of the book... He's saying that those who keep his word, pursue him. Those who make him functional Lord of their life, not just Savior, but functional Lord, that his love begins to be perfected within their life. And then 1 John 4 goes on to talk about how that begins to work on the fear within our life, and it gives us confidence so we can stand before him. But by this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And he goes on to say, Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but the old commandment that you had from the beginning. The way to God has always been the same. Saved by faith, by great amounts of mercy, and, our, and the call to, to submit to him as functional Lord. I think it's absolutely incredible. John 3, 36, look at this one here. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, right? Whoever believes, isn't this what we want? Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. In fact, the Son is eternal life. Knowing Him has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see that life, but the wrath of God remains on Him. So what is important with all of this? I think it's important to know God and love God is synonymous with obeying Him. And this is very important. It's very, very important that we understand this. He is not just our Savior, but He is also our Lord. Now when you start looking at this, now I know I I just want to bring the balance because we're looking at it now and saying, okay, whoa, 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 wait a second. So you're saying like, so when we believe, we believe in Jesus and then we're saved, right? So we believe in Jesus, then we're saved. Yes, absolutely. But that belief, that receiving that grace gift, it was more than just receiving that gift. You were actually receiving Him now as your Lord and Savior. He is now the owner and master of your life, and he is a benevolent master when you get to know him. Now you might say, okay, so then now you're saying to know him is to obey his commandments, but I'm a sinner. I make mistakes. Isn't that true? I make mistakes. What if I make a mistake tomorrow? What if I set my heart? What if I'm struggling with this bondage here and I set my heart? Okay, Lord, I'm going to follow you 100% because I love you. What does it mean then when I fall down and I sin? What does that mean? And that's the beauty of grace. That's what 1 John 1 was getting at. Right? This is what it means to walk in the light. 
that we recognize that we are actually broken sinners in need of a Savior. And so what do we do? We set our, our target. We set our goal towards perfection. We set our goal towards following him in complete obedience and love. And then when we make a mistake, this is where 1 John 1.9 comes in. We confess our sins and he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It is the absolute wonder and beauty and majesty of God. What he has done for us, the wages of sin is death. And he has paid that price for us and it's absolutely incredible. I want you to think about this. So when we're asking, so this is very important. Who am I serving? Right now bringing this back down to relating it to hearing God. This question is very important. I always say it's the most important question that we need to ask ourselves. In any decision, not just when I'm hearing God, but when I'm seeking counsel or when I'm setting the direction for my life, the first question should always be, who am I serving? And am I willing to do whatever he asks me to do? And then from there, if our answer is yes, then we move forward. I want you to think about this God that we have. He's jealous for you. Have you ever thought about that? That the God of the universe is jealous for you? James 4 Verse 5, or do you suppose that it is of no purpose that Scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he's made to dwell in us? Submit yourselves therefore to God, then resist the devil and he will free from you, or flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. He is jealous for your time. We look at this and we say, oh, God's asking so much. He's asking so much. He loves you so much. And his commandments are not burdensome. That's what he says in Scripture. His commandments are not burdensome. He is jealous for your time, for your affection, for your devotion. Because he loves you. Our Lord and Savior who loved you so much, he loved me so much that he was willing to take on flesh. To take our sin and punishment that was ours, put it on his back and allow himself to be tortured and then crucified for you and for me. So that we could have eternal life with him. He is the one that is jealous for us. Isn't that hard to fathom? Interesting thought. And this is the path to life. When we get this foundation right, the answer to this question, who am I serving? Who is sitting on the throne of my life? This is the path to life. When you make Jesus, not just your only Savior, but your functional Lord, this is the path to life. And then we're ready to start learning how to listen to God and to hear him in prayer and to grow and follow him from there. So we're going to do a practice together. And I wanted to give, there's a couple of guidelines that I want to give. I'll be giving more guidelines next week and throughout the next few weeks probably. And I'll keep reminding you of them because as we're hearing God, it's important to put boundaries on ourselves. Now, I know some will say right away, yeah, but are these boundaries like, we don't want to be putting boundaries on what God can do. No, we're not. We're absolutely not. I, I don't think it's possible to put God in a box. But I do think people have to be put in a box. Right? Because we, we do things that we make mistakes. So it's important that we put ourselves in a box. So some of the boxes that we use here for us at Southland are, are, are as follows. So the first thing is, as we're practicing, because I keep encouraging us to listen and then to practice and then share. Last week I, I said to share with your families. I know a lot of people shared their stories, which is great. Uh, but let's, let's hold off on using phrases like, God told me or thus saith the Lord. Now you might say, but aren't those found in Scripture? Certainly they are. 
And it's not wrong. It's not like unbiblical or we're not, we shouldn't judge someone who says that. I'm just saying for us here at Southland, as we are learning in this and growing, let's avoid saying it. And I'll tell you why. When I share with you a word that I got and I said, this is what God told me, especially if it affects you, it puts a heavy weight on you now to go and if you were trying to test it for yourself or to weigh it for yourself or to see what is God saying to you. Does that make sense? So it puts a weight on you. It's very hard when someone says, God told me to do this or God told me to do that. It's very hard for me now to weigh it myself. So as an act of mercy and grace to each other, rather let's just say things like, this is what I sense. And you know, uh, Grace Fast, our, our pastor of prayer here at the church, uh, she's absolutely wonderful. I, she'll send me stuff that she gets. Do you know that even she follows this? And she gets amazingly accurate things in prayer regularly. And yet I never receive a word emailed to me or shared with me that doesn't say, this is, what I'm, this is what I sensed in prayer, and it's followed up with, but if it doesn't resonate with you, just hit delete. You know what that does? It gives me the freedom and, and the ability to go and weigh that word myself and to see, Lord, what are you saying to me on this? And so I think that's going to be a really important thing. I'm going to expand on that in one of the weeks to follow uh, because I think also sometimes we use the God told me as a way of putting the weight of the responsibility of our decision back on him. I think sometimes we just need to own our own, our own decisions. What are we going to do with the things that we're sensing in the path that God's directing us in and saying, this is what I'm choosing to do. This is what I sensed the Lord was speaking to me. So we'll use that. It's important to always remember God never con contradicts his written word ever. That's why you need to be a student of the word, to know who he is and what he is like. Absolutely, yes, that's a huge part of it. He will not contradict himself there. And the word will also expose your heart motive as you go forward and help you with that first heart check. And lastly, the more the word affects you or others, the greater the need for confirmation. And we're going to look at that in the future weeks. How do we get confirmation and how can we be sure? We're going to answer that question. But for now, we have a good chunk of time for this, which I'm very excited for. We're going to start by reading 1 John 2, 1 to 7 for ourselves. Then you're going to look at those next three questions, and we're just going to answer those questions in your journal. And we'll do that here together, but let me pray for you before we do it. Lord, we are so grateful that you chose to be our Savior, our Deliverer. You are the promised anointed one, the Christ our deliverer, to save us from ourselves and from our sin. Without you, we were on a path destined for hell, destined for, for an eternity away from you. But you came and you made a way so that we could be with you forever. The path to life is through you. Thank you for paying that price. Thank you for being our savior. But Lord, we recognize today that you are not just Savior, but you are our Lord. And because you are Lord, Master, Owner, Possessor, it requires something of our lives. And so today we ask that you would, that you would examine our hearts in the Word as we read that passage. And that as we ask these questions, would you reveal to us any areas where we have not yet fully given you control? And then with joy, we want to submit those things to you. All right, let's read and then answer those questions.
right? I'd encourage you, by the way, if you enjoyed uh, that little snippet of 1 John, I would encourage you to study through the book. It's a great book, and you're going to find lots of really good stuff in there. You're going to get into chapter 3, and you're going to learn all about what it means to be a child of God and to walk in the light. And it's brilliantly explained. I love it because there he talks about practicing righteousness, right? We're setting our target towards being righteous as he is righteous, but he understands that it's a practice, that we walk it out one step at a time. So I want to walk through that um, last step, prayerfully committing our life to Jesus. I want to do that together. And so I'm going to kneel. If you want to kneel, you can kneel where you are. You don't have to. You can just sit too. That's fine. But I want to pray because there might be someone here that's listening that maybe doesn't know Jesus, has never known him as Lord. Maybe you've heard about him many times, but you've never known him as Savior or Lord. And there might be others of us where we are trying and we're moving towards him and he might have just shown you another step that you need to take. And now we're just committing our our way to him and we're committing our hearts to him. But let's do that together. Lord Jesus, today we confess with our mouth that you are Lord. And we don't just say Lord. We are giving you our lives. We are surrendering our lives to you, to your Lordship. And we are trusting that you are good. We know the plans that you have for us. You are good, that you are working things out for our good, and we trust you. Even if that means we have to walk through difficult things here on this earth, we are trusting you. And Lord, today we tell you that we believe, we believe in our hearts that you are who you say you are, Jesus, that you died, that you rose from the dead, and that you are now seated with the Father in the heavenly realms. And today, Lord, we give you our hearts. We give you those areas of our life that we maybe hadn't fully surrendered. We give you our free time. We give you our finances. We give you our relationships, our thoughts, those areas of addiction and struggle that we've been dealing with, Lord, and we just don't know how to trust you in that area. We're telling you, Lord, we're trusting you. Whatever is your way, we're going to follow you. Today, Lord, we ask for a fresh filling of your spirit as we are choosing to engage to surrendering our lives to you. We cannot do it apart from your spirit. So Holy Spirit, would you fill us anew? Would you fill each and every one of us? We are inviting you into our lives to fill and control us. And we're asking that you would sharpen our ears and our eyes and our minds and our hearts to begin to recognize your voice. Because I know, Lord, we know you're faithful. And you never allow us to be tempted beyond our ability, but it's not just beyond our ability. You always provide the way of escape. We just don't always listen for it. So Lord, sharpen our ears to hear your voice in the word, in our thoughts, in the world. And lead us to be faithful to you in all things. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for our weekend message. If you have any needs or prayer requests, please give us a call at 204-326-9020 or email prayer at myselfland.com. Once again, our phone number is 204-326-9020 and the email address is prayer at myselfland.com.